Hello, you're listening to Which Moving Pictures Move Us, and I'm your host, Emma Bolzner. For September, the theme of this podcast will be all about back-to-school movies. Since many of us will have school virtually from home, I thought it would be fun to talk about some underrated university and high school movies this month. For today, I will be talking about the 1989 film Dead Poets Society, starring Robin Williams, Ethan Hawke, Robert Sean Leonard, and Josh Charles. And with me virtually is my good friend Martin. Hi, I'm Martin. So, for those of you who haven't seen this film, Dead Poets Society takes place at Welton Academy, which is an all-boys boarding school during the 1950s. We meet Todd, played by Ethan Hawke, who is quiet and shy and doesn't like to speak in front of the class. His roommate, Neil, played by Robert Sean Leonard, is the opposite and dreams of being an actor one day, if his strict military father would ever let him. Then there's Knox, played by Josh Charles, who can't get this dream girl out of his head and fights for her at all costs. The boarding school is very strict and all the classes are the same boring lectures, except for one. That's Mr. Keating's English class. Mr. Keating is played by Robin Williams, who on the first day changes things up a bit by reading a poem by Walt Whitman and telling the boys to seize the day and make your lives extraordinary. Mr. Keating was a student many years before and can relate to the boys in many ways, and he gives them the idea to start their own secret club, the Dead Poet Society, where they read poems aloud in the middle of the night. Mr. Keating impacts each boy's life, especially Todd and Neil, and he tells them to pursue their dreams and be unique, things that nobody has ever told them before. So, Martin, what do we think of Dead Poet Society? Oh, man. Okay. Um, so, I just finished watching this movie, and I definitely wasn't expecting uh, everything that happened. Um, I think, well, first off to say, you said underrated movies. I really hope this isn't an underrated movie because it's absolutely fantastic. Um, honestly, I wish I watched it when I was much younger. Um, I feel like it would have impacted me uh, far more, right? Um, like back then, because it is a movie about uh, teenagers, right? And uh, also in school. So um, having that kind of, I think, influence and like... Um, the way that uh, I think Robin Williams is a teacher, you can see how much, um, how important he has is, is as, as a teacher. Like they, they put a lot of, um, uh, like he's a very unique teacher, right? And he's that type of teacher that you remember for like the rest of your life, you know? Um, and I kind of wish I sort of watched the movie and realized I kind of do need to um, follow my passions and, you know, do what I want to do instead of what everyone else is telling me to do. Yeah. Those, those are my first impressions. Yeah. It's one of those... It's one of those movies where you, like... I can imagine when it did come out in 1989, you'd leave the movie theater feeling super satisfied and, like, want to go after your dreams. Yeah. And you just feel like you can do anything. And I feel like after watching it that I had Mr. Keating as my teacher because I never had a teacher like that. Yeah. And I wish I did. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. I, I think... think um... But I have... Yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say that I think um, what's really great is how this movie starts off with you knowing it's fall it has a great like autumn tone to it where i think you can only watch this movie in 
Because oh, yeah. it's just like the leaves are falling and the sweaters and the way the cinematography is shot and the colors, it's very autumn-like. Yes, yeah. yeah. And you know, you know what? what? I, I feel, feel like, like, like a lot of, there's a lot of back-to-school back movies, but um, I got a different atmosphere for sure from this one. You know, a lot of other back-to-school movies are like, everyone's excited, they're going back to school, right? Like, sure, that's, I always feel like that's always the beginning of school, right? Everyone's excited to go back to school. But there's also a little bit of... Um, monotone setting after you've been to school so many times. I don't know when, when the assignments start piling up and um, when everyone needs to start putting their heads in the books. Um, there's a, it's, a, it's a way different atmosphere and this movie just portrays it really accurately to me. And I did actually, I, I remember a few years ago, I did watch the beginning of this movie, but having that atmosphere like come back to me I just kind of stopped watching it because I didn't want to feel like I was starting school all over again I don't know but I'm, but I'm, I'm really upset I didn't continue watching it because it, it's a really a great movie it was it, it just it just kicks in after um, the first like 20 minutes like you, you just get stuck into it right yeah well maybe there was a reason for you yeah, watching it now true. for this podcast yeah yeah that's true maybe uh <laughs> But I... Yeah, maybe I'll seize the day. <laughs> <laughs> well, and also when you were saying how when they portray back-to-school movies in movies, just the anticipation of going back to school, we've all been back to school. We all can relate to that anticipation. Yeah. But I find that they really gloss over it in some movies and they make it seem like, oh, it's positive. You're going back to the same kind of cliques. You're going to see the same friends. But in this case, it is at a boarding school. So you are living at school. Oh. You don't see your family. There's this nervous kind of like, am I going to fit in? Who are these people? Especially when um, Todd is there, he's kind of like the new guy and he's living in his brother's shadow and I think his brother was the valedictorian and you just kind of feel out of place like him when it first starts yeah. and especially since they're like still teenagers and they're already like having the college experience exactly yeah, yeah that's, that's something that's such that's a something young I age. can't relate to right it's just a uh, um, it, it is a completely different uh, schooling experience, right? And I just found it so interesting in how they fit in together as friends and the, uh, like especially how well-knit they were almost um, throughout the entire movie. I, I can almost not say that I've had something similar to it, you know? I'm, it, it really made me feel like they care for each other as kids. Right. And I'm not sure if I've had many friendships like that. Right? And I've never lived in a college dorm. So I, I don't really know what that's like to be that kind of like fending for yourself, but also your friends are your family. So yeah. it, it's nice to see that. I don't think I'd want to have that experience. Um, I think it would be pretty rough being at an all girls school. Yeah. And I think it's also as difficult being all boys. <laughs> Yeah, right? All one gen. And you can see them address that later in the movies, right? Later in the movie. And you know what? Also, they have a lot of, uh, you know, they also address family issues, right? Mm -hmm. And that's also something that might not be talked about a lot in other movies, just how uh, overshadowing sometimes families can be and uh, how much of a hold they might have over your life or your decisions or what you want to do. And you feel like you need to follow in the footsteps that they are setting down for you, right? 
Um, and I'm, I'm really, I really like how they did address that in this movie and how they talked about that. And even, even though the family, even though they are living at boarding school, right? Even though they're, they're not even living with their family, you know, the kids still had um, uh, issues with that, right? Which yeah. was quite, quite interesting to see. The parents still hold so much control and power over them, even though they don't see them. And it's it's really neat how they right. were able to say that, like they were still scared of their parents, especially Neil, so scared of his father because he wants to be an actor and he, yeah. he joins the play and he's so worried. But it's also because the professors all kind of know the family, especially if you are, you know, more rich and it's just really hard to break mm-hmm. free of that because you need their permissions to just leave the school grounds, which I would feel so claustrophobic if I couldn't even like leave. Yeah, yeah exactly. And, and I, 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 I felt, felt like, like uh, Mr. Keating's frustration when he encountered the parents as well and their issues. Like he wants, he wants to, his entire lesson, like from the beginning of the movie, I feel like has, has been to let the students know that they're in control of their lives, right? And then everything else about the school, the boarding school, the parents, the way things are, is saying the exact opposite, you know? And I feel like just it just made, it, it brought almost like frustration to me as well, because like, I want to tell the, the, these kids too, they are in control, right? They can be, but you know, they just, they just don't realize it at that point, right? And they are younger, of course they need guidance, but sometimes they shouldn't always follow the guidance of, um, someone who's older. That doesn't mean that they know, so because someone's older, they know what's right for them, you know? Yeah. So should we talk about each character a bit separately first? Sure, yeah. yeah. Well, who do you want to start with? Let's start, do you want to start with Ethan Hawke's character, Todd? Sure, okay. Yeah, so Todd was, um, he was paired with uh, uh, Neil, right? At the beginning. And he also, uh, so he's, he's more of a shy kid, right? He doesn't talk very much. He's quite quite quiet. Um, And right from the beginning of the movie, he had issues with, uh, I think, reading out loud. Uh, Not even only in um, in Mr. Keating's classroom, uh, but also in the friend group, right? He didn't want to stand up and read. I first thought it was an issue that he had with reading. Or do you think it was just about performance? That I didn't I thought maybe first it was like some like speech impediment like when he got up there he'd start talking funny but he didn't yeah. so I that was the one thing I was a bit confused about because he was a very shy and, and he was very passive and I think Mr. Keating really helped or I know that Mr. Keating really helped bring that out of and bring him out of his shell but I was a bit confused it would have been interesting to see maybe from a flashback if like someone humiliated him when he was a kid or you know if a parent strongly said to him like you're a bad reader it would have been interesting to see why there was so much trauma around that or if he was just very very shy yeah yeah yeah, exactly and yeah Yeah, true you don't really know why uh, yeah, the, and you know what? They did only, ex- even though I, uh, they did include family, I think they only explored really one character's family, right? Which yeah. would, would be Neil's. Um, uh, so we don't get to see the character. You know, maybe that'll turn into an entire series instead of a movie then. Yeah. But uh, uh, yeah, it would be really interesting. And I, I like how this movie approached just one family. I would love to see them go through each uh, character and see more detail onto them because I feel like a lot of them are relatable. Uh, mm-hmm. Many people can find 
uh, well, bits and pieces that are relatable from each character, right? Uh, I mean, personally, I, I feel like I was very shy throughout my uh, throughout growing up and not wanting to stand up and not wanting to read aloud. That, that I would never even raise my hand, right, just to, to answer a question. So I really related to uh, Todd as a character. Yeah. Um, so it made me really happy to see them include him in the movie. Yeah, I found it really realistic because I was similar and I only spoke when I was forced to speak. Like with presentations, I didn't have trouble doing presentations. I just, I just didn't really want to be the first one doing them. And I thought it was realistic yeah, how yeah. they showed that because when you are forced to do it, you don't feel good about it. And I know when there was another um, class member that just reads a poem and he's just like the cat that sat on the mat and he like makes a joke out of it. And, you know, there were people yeah, like yeah. that that I went to school with that just did that because they were shy and they just didn't want to talk, so they just fail the project or the assignment instead of actually facing their fears. And that's another kind of way to deal, not deal with it, not properly deal with it, but that's another way to kind of get around from speaking in front of the class. And I like yeah. that because uh, even Todd was like, oh, I forgot my assignment to Mr. Keating. And he tried, and most of the professors would have just yes. said, okay, well then, you know, F, you fail, you don't get another chance. But Mr. Keating yeah, saw yeah. through that <laughs> and he was like, I'm not going to let you get away with that, which I found really interesting. Yeah. yeah. And you know what's surprising more? That he had something prepared for him, I felt like, mm -hmm. right? He knew, he almost knew this was going to happen. And he immediately, like, he had that quote up on the wall and said, you know, you, what was it? The um, yop? You have, to, yeah. you have to yop as loud as you can, right? You have to yell as loud as you can. You know, he was he, he knew that Todd was going to, uh, or likely not end up writing something, you know? And I'm just, you know, another, I feel like, or other teachers would just be like, they'll take you aside and be like, we'll give you another chance, or maybe you could do it personally to me. But I just really liked Mr. Keating's response. But, you know, of course, maybe it is a movie, right? So... It did kind of roll smoothly. Everything went fine after that. Like, you know, I really, I really love that scene when, you know, it, it, he did, like, manage to get some kind of poetry out of him um, by, like, grabbing him and making him yell. Um, in re re reality, I'm not sure even the best teachers could do that with a shy student, but um, I, really, I really love that they, they did that. It was, I, I, I feel like that was an amazing scene. I love the camera angles in, in that scene when they're like spinning around and you feel like you're in Todd's head and you're just like feeling dizzy and nauseated because you're so worried about speaking up in front of the class and you just feel his nervousness and then, you know, you don't see any of the other class members, which I found was really mm -hmm. cool how they managed to do that. You just see um, Mr. Keating and yeah. him. Uh, that, that, was, that was great. And... Uh, you know what, I, I'm so, like, I'm also surprised that this is, like, I mean, this was set in the 50s, right? It was made in 1989, but set in the 50s, but it's still all super relatable, right? Even though settings have changed, everyone's phones, you know, it seems like a movie from the far past. Everything still feels like it is now, you know? Uh, especially with that cat, the cat poem. I don't know why, that really, that really felt like... Something, something kids, kids would, would do in, in classes, right? They would just sit up and everyone would laugh, you know? Yeah. They, would, they would laugh at another student's poem, and then they would laugh even more when, but like, you know, laugh with the person who uh, uh, made that kind of joke um, with the poem and just wanted to avoid actually sharing or do working on it and uh, sharing yeah. something complex. And 
I also found his story was relatable when he's not seen by his parents. And I think um, Neil can kind of relate to that too. He is seen by his parents, but it's almost too much overpowering. He doesn't get away with anything. Whereas Todd, his parents could care less. And that really important scene where, you know, he's sitting outside and he gets the a desk set and Neil goes up to him and is like, oh, why'd you get a desk set? And Todd's like, oh, today is my birthday. And I've been getting this desk set for like the last three years, the exact same desk set. And I thought that was yeah. a really great symbol to yes. use how on his birthday, his parents don't even get him something that he really wants let alone they get him the same gift every year, the exact same gift. And I love when Neil just kind of throws it off the roof. Yeah, yeah. And it just shatters, and it's almost like Todd is, yeah, you know, breaking yeah. free from his parents, a symbol for that. Exactly. That was Todd, right? I couldn't, I couldn't remember which character that was. But, um, yeah, it was Todd. Right? And I, I just, I, and how much, um, uh, I just felt like uh, Neil really, really cared at that moment, right? And, you know, to have a friend like that who sees when you're down and you need, like, I feel like like uh, Todd needed someone like that in his life, right? Um, and, you know, I almost wish I had someone like that when I was uh, grow growing up in high school. Like, someone who will just be there with, for you and say what you need to hear, right? It doesn't matter if it's right. Yeah. Like, who would actually throw a death set off the, you know? <laughs> well, right thing to do, Michael goes to return it, you know? But, but no, <laughs> throwing it off, I feel like that emotionally that was the right thing to do in that moment, right? And um, yeah. sometimes that's what you need. Yeah. So um, I guess I can start talking about Neil next since we mentioned him already. Yes. He's the main character of the movie. Yeah, yeah. I would say so. So um, I guess his main motive in the film is to follow his dreams and he really starts feeling this way after going in Mr. Keating's class and he just wants to be an actor so desperately and he doesn't even know for sure if that's what he wants to do at the beginning he just wants to be given the chance yep. and his dad is just pushing and pushing for him to go to medical school and become a doctor and then he d does get into a play and he he goes to the audition and he gets the main role and he lies about it to his dad and lies to the school and but he's so happy and it's just so great to see how happy he is and um you know it, it's just heartbreaking with the end what comes with it but he does get to be in a play and he does a great job but his demons and his father just don't let him go through much after that don't want to say too much but i assuming people yeah. who listen to this movie, uh, to this podcast, have watched the movie, and we know that it's not a great end for Neil. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and right at the beginning, like, it wasn't only just Mr. Keating's class that I feel like made him want to do what he wants. Like, even before I feel like he joined the class, he was immediately told by his father, quit, uh, what was it, uh, writing or something? I can't remember. Yeah, the, uh, the newspaper. And that's such a... The newspaper, like, yeah. News. It's not even like an elective class, like a silly class. That's a very good thing to be taking. And he's like, no, that's an exactly. elective. You should be just doing... And that's not even a silly thing to take. Being on a newspaper is really amazing. 
right? Even if you were going to be a doctor, having that on your uh, resume or anything would be a, a fantastic. But, you know, his father is very, you can't handle that. You need to focus on your studies. That's what you're going to do, right? And before Mr. Keating's class, he just does, he just does what his father says, right? That, he feels like that's his only choice. And, but since he was able to get, be given the opportunity of being in his class and being told these things, I feel like, I feel like he doesn't, you know, eventually he realized he doesn't have to say no all the time. Uh, he doesn't have to feel as trapped. And it's a very slow progression, obviously. Like he, but the fact that he can trust Mr. Keating and when he was uh, told no by his father to go into play, he went to Mr. Keating and Mr. Keating uh, told him to do, to tell him what, he told or tell him what he told him to his father so that he can be in the play um he actually does that right and the fact that i remember when he got in the play he was so happy he was like absolutely immediately first thing he gets to the play i'm gonna go write a letter uh, pretending to be my dad so i can so they'll let me be in the play and, and like, like he was just ecstatic. ecstatic. Like, like he didn't, he didn't care. care. Like it, the, the first thing he was, he was so happy to do that. He was just fantastic. And you know, maybe he won't be an actor. But who cares? Just like you say, he won't be an actor. But he, at least he's giving the chance to explore that option. And, and if he doesn't, he's not getting given that chance. Then he might never know. Maybe he'll quit being a doctor later just to try that. You know, in the future, when you're young, you should try what you want to try, right? Because if you don't try what you want to try now. Later on, you're going to be thinking, was I missing something, right? Was I, maybe I would have loved doing that, but I never tried. And then uh, you take a whole chunk of your adult life trying to explore more options, right? So doing it as early as you can, doing it whenever you can. Like even now, if you want to, even if we want to explore something, we should do that, right? We shouldn't just, you know, miss out on those opportunities, I feel like. And I feel like that. Like, that, that, that's really what this movie is trying to tell us, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, it's not just saying seize the day, but literally don't live with regrets and don't yeah. have regrets. And Mr. Keating really says that. And, you know, if he hadn't been in that play, he would have had so many regrets in his life. And it just kind of shows you in other situations, you know, it's really nice. There used to be a big um, kind of... Uh, controversial feeling towards you know you have to go to school right after high school and you have to go to university and when you go to university you have to know what you want to do at 18 and you have to be in that program and it always was looked really down upon if you change your program or if you you know take a gap year or if you leave or drop out and it's always very it's still like very hard to do that but um it's a bit easier now I think than 40 years ago let alone in the 1950s and it's crazy to think that at 17 let alone it's not even what you want to do but your parent is like driving you toward this that something that they I'm assuming the dad wanted to do to become a doctor and then living through you you don't even get to explore what you want to do or who you are you don't even know who you are at such a young young age I mean let alone what you want to do for the next 50 years of your life yeah Exactly. And, and the, the fact, fact is, once, once you do leave high school, school once you do you enter that trans- transition phase, uh, uh, phase where you're no longer, possibly a lot of people are no longer supported by their parents like they once used to be, right? Um, you don't have that 
you won't have that opportunity. You might not have it. You just might not have the financial ability to explore other things. You might not have the time. You might be, you know, you might have to work and go to school uh, and provide for yourself. A lot of people won't definitely won't have that time. Even if so, if they don't even have it in high school, chances are they definitely won't have it afterwards. So that's why you really need to urge yourself to do it as soon as possible, right? Before you're kind of left to fend for yourself, right? And one of the sad parts about Neil's story, I mean, there's many sad parts, is that even when he's in the play and he's following his dreams, he's still getting like A's in all his courses mm-hmm. and still doing so well in school. So when the dad confronts him being like, what are you doing in this play? You're not doing what I'm telling you to do. He's still so good in his courses. He's doing so well. He's not falling behind. And I don't, still don't understand why he has a problem with him being an actor or being in this one play he's not even an actor just being in a play if he's still doing so well in his studies yeah exactly and it kind of goes to show like um, you know students who you know you'd see a lot of students getting always straight A's right um, you know there doesn't mean that they're not struggling at home you know it doesn't mean that they're not struggling in other aspects of their life they could be struggling more than anybody else right um, but uh, uh, you know, even if they are successful, they don't think they're successful because of the way they're being treated, right? And it's very disappointing for a lot of people, right? Um, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, Neil's, Neil's storyline really hit me hard, especially, well, we can say in the ending when he does commit suicide because his father forces him to leave the school and go into military school and then become a doctor which is literally like over 10 years of his life and Mr. Keating said to him you know just try to be an actor and then you see how it goes and you know once you or even if you do medical school there'll still be some time for you to try to be an actor but with military school I mean what is he gonna start becoming an actor at 30 like that's so impossible by then and he just sees that as a dark tunnel and he just can't take it anymore and he can't take the pressure from his father and I think Todd's reaction to his death was the best I thought for such a young actor for Ethan Hawke. Oh yeah. Um, we the the character didn't even have to say you know Neil is dead. You just see it in in Todd's face, and I thought that was really well done. Like he was having such a mixed bag of emotions right when he walked off into the snow, and I just feel it was so realistic. Like he he first felt like happy about how beautiful the snow looks, and then he just started retching, you know, and it just that really hit you. Like first he's he's just. I don't know, he's just trying to deny it, but then it hits him, it hits him hard. Um, uh, he was really tight-knit with him, and I believe he helped him also get out of everything that he, uh, um, Todd was suffering himself. And you know what's so odd? Like, out of all the characters, I wouldn't think that Neil would be the one for something like that to happen to, like, for him to commit suicide. Um, because he did not seem depressed. It, on contrary, Todd did seem depressed, right? Todd's a sad, shy, uh, non-talkative, antisocial kind of guy. And I feel like, if anything, he would have been the one that this happened to. Um, but instead, it was uh, uh, Neil. And I think that also goes to show, like, you know, someone doesn't have to appear that way 
to be uh, uh, for that to happen to them, or for them to be depressed, or for them to be suffering from things that you're not you don't uh, see uh, on the forefront, right? And I think the movie deliberately didn't maybe show us how intricately uh, Neil's thoughts were, right? Um, for him to just go off like that, right? Because I would have felt like Neil would have rebelled or something, or ran away, or like I was like Neil, run to Mr. Keating or something, like don't. Don't fall to your parents. Like, I don't care. If you turn 18, just run away from your parents. Never talk to them again. You know, do what you want. But he felt trapped. He felt that was the end of his life. Um, and he couldn't go anywhere else. And that's so... It's so sad, right? He doesn't want to go through... He doesn't want to go to military school and have that choice be made for him. And I think that's a really good point, what you were saying, because I, I just kind of noticed that now with... Yes, uh, Neil was always happy. He always had a smile on his face. He was the one that started the Dead Poet Society, found the yearbook, yep. the old yearbook uh, where Mr. Keating was a student. And he wanted to do that. He always was looking for something new to do. And he always had, you know, this great um, energy to him. Whereas, mm -hmm. who we'll talk about later, Knox is the one that's, you know, being super obsessive over this girl, Chris, that he loves. And he's, he's saying, oh my gosh, if I can't be with her, I'm going to kill myself. And he literally oh, yeah, says too, those yes. words. And he's just yeah. pining over for her. And, and all he can think about is Chris. Where And Todd is just super depressed with, you know, his parents not loving him. And, you know, being the shadow of his brother and being so shy. And whereas Neil, you just don't expect it. And I think that's why this movie is so great. Because... Uh, depression and suicide usually is in people that you don't expect it to happen to and they're usually yeah. the very happy-go-lucky kind of sort of people yeah yeah because yeah. yeah. they, they always, always have, have to, to you know they, they might try the hardest selves to put on a mask you know and appear to be okay and that nothing's going on with them um because otherwise people would care too much about them or you know they, they would they don't they can't be they can't be they don't want uh, people to like be wondering what's wrong with you, right? So you have to try and appear happy, and you have to try to be okay. Um, but yeah, it's a combination of all things that I think led him to that. Yeah. Should we talk about Knox? Do you want to talk about him? Yes, for sure. Um, well, I, I, where did we start off with him in the movie? I can't even remember. He just kind of... We start off... Uh, um, I feel like I, I, I first remember him in the cave. Yeah, well, he first comes, his first scene... I had to go back a bit because they do look very similar. But his first scene is when Neil and Todd are in their room and they're setting up and... Um, uh, Knox comes in with Charlie. Charlie's kind of like the cool guy. He smokes. He wants to get all the girls, even though there's no girls in the school. He thinks he's super hot. And Charles and uh, Charlie and um, Knox come in, and they just kind of ignore Todd at first. And then we don't really see see Knox anymore because he's kind of the secondary character. Neil and Todd are the main. And then I think we see more of him once Mr. Keating's class begins mm -hmm. and in the cave yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah I, I particularly just remember that like he kept, kept seeming so upset like we, we saw him we saw him knock on the uh, uh the girl's door um i'm, I'm not, not sure why, why he was there in the first place, place. I, I i can't I didn't really uh, catch on to that but um where he, he met the girl for the first time 
um, and he just couldn't. He, like, and then Kate was so upset, like I can't believe he, she's with someone else, you know. And then he finally like stood up. I feel like you know that's also another thing about Mr. Keating, uh, Keating's lessons. He stood up. You know what? I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna seize the day. I'm gonna call her. I'm just gonna call her. I'm gonna take that chance. And all the boys follow him, and, and they call him, yeah. and uh, she invites him to the party. But um, some backstory, like you were saying, so when you go to a boarding school, uh, we mentioned before, you have to have permission to leave the grounds. And Knox, if I remember correctly, Knox's parents say, oh, we have family friends living in the neighborhood. Why don't you go visit them? And Knox assumes that they're going to be like these 80-year-old people and he does not want to go to dinner with them or to their house. And he's like, well, if I have to leave the school, why do I have to visit these family friends of mine who aren't even my friends? And he goes there and he's never met them. And he opens, the girl opens, Chris opens the door and he's like, first thinks it's the mother, (laughs) even though she's the same age as him. And then he finds out that the family friend's son Chet is dating uh, Chris. And how awkward is that? I mean, the parents will lose their friendship with this family if you start dating your family friend's son's mm-hmm. girlfriend. How awkward would that oh, be? Oh, wow, that's, that's even, even worse, worse than, than I thought. thought. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's even worse, right? So that's essentially just stealing your family friend's girl, uh, son's uh, girlfriend. That's kind of insane. And I wanted to also mention, Chris is the only girl we see in this whole movie. And the representation of women is just horrible. (laughs) It's one of the worst. And, you know, she's not even the most strongest. She's very weak as a woman. She just does everything that Chet says. And it's it's kind of not the greatest representation of women. Yeah. I mean, it is a movie about a boys boarding school, but they could have at least, you know... Made that a little bit, those representations. Um, with Knox, I found his story to be very relatable because we've all felt that way where we just, you know, we see someone we really like and it's more, I think, mm-hmm. infatuation, but it could become something more and you just can't yeah. get them out of your head. I mean, we've all felt that way and you just want to do anything to get them to like you and sometimes it's unrequited love and it's just his energy and the feeling of like, oh, I want to call her. Or, you know, I just can't mm-hmm. wait to see her. We've all felt that way. And I found his story to be the most relatable, at least to me. And I really liked um, how he portrayed that character. Yeah, yeah I, I agree. agree. Like, like, it's the, the first, first time, time he saw her. And that's, that's it. it. That's, that's all, all he needs, right? <laughs> and he'll go after her. And like, I, I, know, I know that, that feeling as well, right? right? And, it's and it's like, like it doesn't, doesn't even matter if the person's compatible with you or not. You're, you're just, just going to do whatever to yeah. talk to them or get to know them um, and hope that they see you and that they hang out with you, right? Even if it doesn't work out in the end. Um, but, you know, that, that was a very, it was very interesting that it kind of did work out in the end, that she decided to go with him to the play. Um, and see, I mean, I'm, I'm happy for him, right? Um, I just wonder if it's going to be happy after that, like what's going to happen with Chet and what's going to happen with his family friends, and, you know, uh, it might not turn out as well as we think, right? Because of yeah. all that. I was kind of bummed that we didn't even get to see them kiss, though. We just get them to, like, hold hands. I would have liked to see that. <laughs> <laughs> True. I mean, yeah, I guess it's all up to our imaginations at that point, right? Uh, what happens? Maybe they they, just, they wanted, wanted one happy ending, ending not to, uh, <laughs> you know. 
maybe they never do get to kiss. Yeah. Do you think it was realistic how romantic Knox was, though? Like, he's literally going to her school, and he's reading her poetry, and sending her flowers. Oh, and I'm no. thinking about, like, the 17-year-old uh, boys yeah. I knew when I was 17, and they were not doing any of yeah. that stuff. Yeah, I mean, the one thing I wouldn't have found realistic is I didn't know any boys that had a dead poet society or who would read poems to each other. That's, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I assume that might have been more popular back when we weren't addicted to smartphones and everything. But because, um, like, I could never imagine... Even like, like boys, boys going, going to a like, like a, a like a rural part with that without the, the technology yeah. and without their phones just to keep them occupied or to do you know I mean of course they were still portrayed like boys in the film right they were still oh they were smoking in yeah. the cave and you know they're trying to set fires and they were bringing broken lamps inside uh, yeah. they were boys looking were still up doing looking what at they nude pictures do, of women right? <laughs> exactly right like. <laughs> and he was like, oh, he's just reading from the back, the poetry in the back. That's why he opened it up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, which is kind of funny. <laughs> I, I want to believe that something like that might happen. And, you know, it's very romantic. And it's nice to see um, guys acting so sensitive and being so in tune with their emotions. And, you know, there hasn't been something like that since. And it makes me really sad because I like to see that other side of boys and not just being like oh boys don't cry or boys don't have any feelings and they don't like romance because guys do too and you know just because you know they might not show it everyone wants love in their life and everyone wants to be accepted and seen and Mr. Keating saw them all and that's why it's such a powerful ending when um, Mr. Keating is basically fired because of Neil's death because the professors at the school want to blame Mr. Keating and you know how the boys you see which ones stand up for Mr. Keating, literally oh stand up on the tables, and which ones don't. And you see which ones sign the, you know, the form and how they're intimidated to sign mm-hmm. the form of getting Mr. Keating yeah, literally si- stand uh, up. Yeah. fired. And Charlie, uh, the only one, it doesn't sign it, and he gets expelled. Even Todd signs it, and Knox signs it, even though they love Mr. Keating so much. And it just shows you how intimidating schools like that are and how they really like the most important thing for those schools is to not look bad. And instead of just saying, you know, Neil killed himself because of his father and because of the workload or whatever, they want to blame a certain person just because Mr. Keating was what really kept Neil alive. Exactly. I was like, that frustrated me so much. I'm like, like I wanted, I wanted them to scream. Like, no, he's the one who made him not kill himself. You know, he was the only thing that stopped him yeah. from killing himself. And as soon as, yeah. like, um, as soon as his, his father took control, he was done, right? And I'm so sad that mm-hmm. Mr. Keating got the worst end on that. And that, that just made me so sad for his uh, storyline. But I, I do love that the kids stood up for him in the end, right? I'm disappointed in, uh, what was that one red-headed kid? Uh, oh, I think his oh, name was Cameron. Who uh, yeah. decided to uh, blame Mr. Keating and told everything, but... Um, I mean, you know, you can't stop everyone from, you can't keep everyone quiet, you know, someone's going to tell and you're going to uh, cause something yeah. like that to happen. Um, and you know, also like, this is also the time of, um, you know, they, they also had the beatings, right? Um, where, uh, uh, Charlie was beat, beat, right? 
which was uh, uh, interesting mm-hmm. to see how, like, they actually showed that, the, the scene, the full scene of that happening. Um, but yeah, it, the, again, like, they were, they're a tight-knit a group of boys, and they did show emotions to each other, too, right? And that's rare. Mm-hmm. To me, that's super rare. I, I, I don't see that typically in uh, friends groups um, within boys, right? You, you um, like, boys do have emotions, obviously, but, uh, and they do have a sensitive side, but I think they're just made not to show that, right? That's not something. Uh, it, or it's more like um, they tend to, uh, they tend to more like uh, joke around with each other to uh, block that type of stuff out. Um, and they deal with things with when you're in a social situation, you deal with that by joking around, right? That's how you, um, yeah. so like I heard a very good analogy of like how, you know, everyone has their wall, right? Uh, and if someone throws a ball at it, right? Um, guys always throw the ball back, you know, it always bounces off that wall. They never let, they never let it come in unless, you know, someone can really penetrate that kind of like in that, into that relationship with them. Um, and it's nice that the group of boys were able to do, do that with each other. Yeah. And I also liked the full circles in this movie. Like, similarly, at the beginning when Robin, uh, Mr. Keating tells them to stand up on their desk and see the world from a different light. And then in the end, uh, Todd stands up on his desk just to show Mr. Keating that he believes in him and that he's really changed his life and then some other boys stand up and I thought it was realistic that they didn't all stand up because if the whole class stood up oh, yeah. and you know I thought that would have been really unrealistic but I think they did a really good job of just showing you know Todd and Knox for sure standing and then mm. you know that really tall kind of nerdy guy and some others yeah. and not Cameron but I thought that was a really great way how they did that but also the full circle with how at the beginning, when they first are in Mr. Keating's class, they are expected to read this really dry, boring textbook like they are supposed to read in every other class. And Mr. Keating is super refreshing. And I think this was my favorite scene when he tells them, you know, rip out the first chapter. <laughs> You're not going to get anything out of reading poetry from this boring textbook. You have to learn about poetry from living it yourself and writing your own poetry and experiencing yeah. things. And how at the yeah. end, when Mr. Keating is fired and someone else is teaching the course, the first thing that professor says is, open your textbook to page <laughs> one or whatever and yeah, read yeah. this. And they're like, well, we've ripped it out. But I just thought that was really amazing just to show how he didn't fit the cookie cutter of a regular professor and how bright mm-hmm. he was. And then that is the guy that gets fired. I just... That made me so angry. It made me even more yeah. sad th- than Neil dying. Just that Mr. Keating doesn't even get the appreciation he should deserve. Exactly. Yeah, I, exactly what you say. It comes all full circle. And I probably would have been a kid that's like, oh, my God, my $400 textbook. Let me rip it out so I can save it for later, you know. But the fact that he tells it how it is, right, and that the textbook is wrong and um, that you should do it you shouldn't be following it it's just it is super refreshing mm-hmm. and I, I, I absolutely love that scene as well um, and it just showed you that not everything that everybody writes is true not everything that all the you know not all professors are um, uh, right not all textbooks are right you have to sometimes uh, listen to other ex- uh, viewpoints right just like Mr. Keating said you have to go you have to stand on top of the desk to see uh, things, things from a different, different perspective. perspective. You have to see things from your perspective um, in order to truly know 
what you want to do in life and form your own opinions about things. You shouldn't just read from a textbook and listen to what someone else has to say, which is exactly what boarding school there was about. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, I don't know how boarding school is nowadays or how uh, uh, rigid some schools can be. Um, uh, I hope they're not all like that. You know, I hope they have teachers like Mr. Keating. Yeah, and it, it's funny because I used to only think that there were just boarding schools in England and the UK, but mm -hmm. it's crazy yeah. to think that there are some here in Canada, but they're mostly, I think, in the East Coast. But in America, there is a lot on the East Coast too, like in Boston, and I'm not exactly sure what this one is set, but there are a lot of rigid oh, This was Vermont, I think. I, yes, okay, Vermont, okay. Uh, but I liked how refreshing this idea was and how there wasn't really and since then we haven't seen many boarding school movies and how refreshing this was to to see that and how it seemed very organic and like not staged and how they spoke to one another and the dialogue like you said even though it takes place in the 50s you can still relate to it today even though you, you know you might not have a 17 year old boyfriend or a 17 year old friend yeah. who reads you poetry <laughs> It just seemed very organic, especially with Robin Williams. Yeah, I, I feel like I'm not sure if the kids or the the actors were kids at the point or 17 or their actual age, but it felt like it, right? And yeah. you know, when you saw them reading, you saw them making mistakes while reading. You know, it seems like yeah. they. I feel like they just told the actor, "Okay, read this paragraph of the textbook," and they just took the first cut of it. You know, they didn't. Yeah. Like it was organic. You know, it was like they were in a real classroom setting, and that's what I really enjoyed about this movie. It didn't seem like a movie almost, you know, it seemed yeah. almost like a, a real life experience. Uh, yeah, and I can really, guarantee, really nice I can guarantee when Robin Williams, as he does in most of his films, when he improvs, that they were really laughing, like really laughing. Cause I bet mm -hmm. on set it could have been so boring and you know, Robin Williams never stayed with the script. And when there's this one scene where he's just like doing impersonations and he's just having a hell of a time being silly and fun and the boys are just laughing like belly laughing not fake acting like ha 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 you can just see tears streaming down their cheeks and how fun they're and I know that that wasn't that was just being filmed but that was Robin Williams making people laugh and that just warmed yeah. my heart yeah exactly yeah and the, the entire movie I was I was I was like like Robin Williams obviously captured the performance like he does in almost every one of his other movies um, but, you know, it, it's also interesting that this movie, how we were talking about Neil, you know, how he's happy and he ends up committing suicide, or he seems happy, like, almost reflects what happened to uh, Robin Williams, right? He seemed like the happiest guy on earth. He seemed like the most uh, comedic man on earth. I, I do know that he was sick, so that's what might have led him to commit suicide, but, you know, no one would have thought that. You know, no one uh, yeah. would think that Robin Williams would be the one to do something like that or that's how his life would end, which is, you know, uh, very sad. I was kind of thinking of that the entire movie, too. I couldn't stop thinking about Robin Williams uh, and what happened to him. So it was, it was kind of sad. He, he is, like, my favorite person, and I'm so happy. Like, I never got the yeah. chance to meet him because he died when we were, like, 14, but... I'm so happy that I lived in a time when he was around and when he, I right. could enjoy his movies and, you know, 
have him in my life because he's one of those actors where you actually feel like you know him and there will never be a Robin Williams like him again. And I think, like you said, yeah. he just made everybody laugh and he took so much time for everybody else that he never took time for himself. And he was bipolar, but um, it just was... I just loved seeing him in this movie. And, and of course, with it talking about suicide, I wonder if there was a reason that drew him to that movie back in the 80s because I know he did have some drug addiction and things like that and maybe he wasn't hmm. suicidal back then but I bet it was a reason maybe he want needed to see a movie like this when he was 17 and he just yeah. really wanted to because I can't see anybody else in that role I'm trying to think of you know adults in the 80s and I cannot see yeah. like Dustin Hoffman or I don't even know anybody else right now at the top of my head, but he was. Just oh, apparently, uh, I forget the name. It was. Um, let me check. Uh, Liam Neeson was apparently going to be the teacher until they changed the directors. <laughs> yeah, which was quite interesting. I could not see Liam Neeson in that role. Um, that, no. That's uh, that. Yeah, I feel like and like you know, I feel like that that was what Robin was saying. I felt like that's what he really thought. You know, that's, that's really yeah. his act. And for like 1989, the fact that they talked about suicide and showed suicide. And I really like that we didn't have to see Neil's body and we just saw this hand and we didn't need to hear the gunshot. We just saw the father's face and we knew right away something bad had happened. And I feel like now everyone needs to have this visual representation. We have to like we don't have enough imagination to make up our own conclusions and I still think that in the last 31 years, we haven't seen enough representation of underage suicide or suicide at all in movies and TV shows. And I think that for the time, this was super groundbreaking, but we should by now have so many more stories like this. Yeah, I, I completely agree. The, um, the fact, like, uh, uh, when, when I um, thought, like, he was, gonna, he was dead, right? I didn't think that he would at all show his father reacting, right? That was kind of like seeing, mm -hmm. hearing his scream is kind of morbid, right? And seeing how his, uh, I think it was his mother, right? Is coming up and uh, reacting to. It was very, it was, it was much more morbid um, look than, you know, oh yeah, he died and then there's a funeral scene. You know, that's how a lot of movies handle it nowadays. They don't actually show any sort of direct reaction. Uh, to that, yeah, I'm emotion. I'm trying to think of movies. Yeah, a real emotion like that. I'm trying to think of movies. I feel like there was this, there was one movie. I think it was also Robin Williams. That was about suicide. I can't remember the name. But there's also Thirteen Reasons Why. I've never watched that series, but I do know that one's about suicide. But yeah, this one was just so. To me, it was out of the like uh, left hand field. Like I didn't see it coming at all. You know. It just yeah. it just happened so quickly, right? Um, and like at the end, I thought Neil was going to do something, but I wouldn't have thought that it was going to be suicide, right? Um, so it, it was quite. And the denial, the denial yeah. of the mother too, when she sees her dead son, and she's like, "Oh, he's going to be okay. Mm -hmm. He's going to be okay. He just needs to go see the doctor." Yeah, and that is what 
your reaction is sometimes um, to death and yeah. just an unexpected yeah. death, especially exactly. when it's so bad when your child dies before you. I think that's like the worst thing that could happen to a parent, even though the parents yeah. basically, especially the father, drew him to his like death. His father's like, like his entire, entire time, time thinking how his son has to be perfect, he has to meet expectations, he has to do this, this, and this. And guess, guess what? what? Now you don't have a son anymore, so he can't live up to any of those things. Like, what was all of that worth if, you know, you lost your son? Um, there's a lot of movies I haven't seen by Robin Williams. Um, like, uh, what are some good movies that you, 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 you like from him? Other movies. Well, when I was watching this, the first one that came to mind was Good Will Hunting because that is also a fall, very autumn, back-to-school kind of movie. And for people that haven't seen it, it's basically um, Robin Williams is a school psychologist and he works at the school but he's not really seen by the other members of the staff as like a professor even though he's a really good psychologist and the janitor that works there so goodwill hunting is written by matt damon and ben affleck who were like very young at the time and matt damon's character is a janitor and they find out they discover because he's the janitor at the school that he is a genius and he can solve like any math problem and they want him to be in the school. And Robin Williams is like, you know, just because he can't pay the tuition fee doesn't make him, like, not able to go to university and post-secondary. And I think if I can recall correctly, um, Matt Damon does something criminally bad. I don't know if he gets into some fight or something and he's, like, forced to have psychology sessions with Robin Williams in order to keep his job as a janitor. But they have this great bond between them and it's just really, really great acting and Robin Williams is so good in this. Maybe he's not as silly and happy as Mr. Keating is in this, but you really see some depth and just the chemistry between him and Matt Damon is just amazing and how he does end up, you know, following his dreams like the boys in this movie. Yeah. Yeah, that, that really, really like, after watching this movie, I really want to see Google Hunting, too, then. And it, it seems like a kind of similar movie, too. It so, is very similar. Um, I'd be really interested to, I'd be really interested to see that and see how how, is, uh, how he takes a different position in the teaching role. Yeah, and Robin uh, Williams, I just looked up, he did win Best Supporting Actor, and Matt Damon and Ben Affleck won um, for Best Screenplay in 1998. He's also in um, the movie... Good Morning Vietnam, which I just recently watched a couple months ago. It was on TV. I don't usually watch stuff that's on TV anymore, but it was on, and my mom was like, oh, I watched that movie when it came out, so we watched it, and he basically is a, he does the radio shows, and he's kind of like, again, another Mr. Keating where, you know, he works in Vietnam, and the poor men who are in the army hear the same boring things and they are told the people that work at the radio station to not talk about anything bad they're not allowed to say what's actually going around in america and what's actually happening in real historical events and even in vietnam itself if there is bombings or if you know some of the soldiers men have died they're not allowed to report on that and robin williams character thinks this is ridiculous and he wants to say things but everything is censored but he also makes it fun and, like, laughs with the soldiers and they are entertained by him. You know, Robin Williams, right? He ad-libs things, makes jokes. Whereas the other sergeants and the other people that work there, you know, are just like the professors in Dead Poet Society. And they 
he just never fits the mold. And that's why I think Robin Williams is so special because he finds a way in all his movies, even in Mrs. Doubtfire, to just be different. <laughs> and that's why I love him. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, all yeah. of his movies, like, I think uh, other movies I watch, like Popeyes. Um, he's quite, quite, he's memorable like in all of them. You know, every movie he kind of, he's fantastic in. Um, so... Should we move on to our final judgment? Dead Poet Society move you or not? I would say Dead Poet Society definitely moved me. Um, I was in tears in the end of the film. I don't know if I was able to do this podcast right after. I thought I needed a cool down period before I was able to come up on here. But um, it, it was a fantastic film and I wish I watched it earlier. Um, and I hope to watch it again soon because... Yeah, and we've pretty much said I feel the exact same way. This movie totally moved me, and it's such a very rare film, and it needs to be talked about more, and it is 31 years old, but you need to watch it because it's great. Movies are timeless, and if a movie is filmed well, I know there are a lot of, like, hokey, actually most of, like, 95% of the movies in the 80s are very dated and very hokey <laughs> because of the music, mainly, and the font <laughs> at the beginning, the hairstyles and the clothes and period pieces in the 80s usually do not work out. But this movie is just perfect. You don't have any, like, 80s haircuts. Don't worry. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, the soundtrack, that's the only thing that I found a bit lacking with this movie is I didn't find them having any memorable um, music, per se, with, like, oh. 50s. Uh, the, my last episode was on American Graffiti, and it took place in the 50s, and there was a lot of... Each scene had a different song from the 50s, yeah. and I love 50s music, so that's the only thing I found a bit lacking. But then again, this is a different tone. It is a boarding mm-hmm. school. You're not driving around in your fancy car or, you know, picking up chicks. <laughs> so the music I is agree. not going to be the same. Yeah. And you, and you know, know what? what? They even and there was no radio. Like... Yeah, yeah, that's, that's the, the thing. thing. There was that. They 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 were I th- they were pretending it was a radar, but they I believe they were actually <laughs> making a radio, right? <laughs> but they weren't yeah. allowed radios, right? Because it is a boarding school, so they should wouldn't have music in the first place. Um, yeah, exactly. Like they, I remember, there's a little bit of soundtrack with some like eerie tones that happened in both mm-hmm. same, so, like kind of like a tribal music tones that kind of popped up in the beginning of the end. Uh, but that's really all that I remember. Yes, please watch this movie. And I want to thank you, Martin, for coming on the show for the second time. Thank, thank you, you for inviting, inviting me, Emma. I, I really enjoy coming on here. And I hope to come be back soon. <laughs> yes, we'll do some other themes where you can come again and watch some new movies. <laughs> and I want to thank all the listeners for listening and tuning in.